Hey folks, welcome to This Good Word. My name is Steve Weens, your host as always. Today I have Rebecca Bowers on the podcast. She is a licensed therapist and she works with folks who are LGBTQIA+, specifically who are dealing with trauma and abuse from the church and spiritual situations. We had a fascinating conversation about the kinds of loss that people experience and then what can be helpful. So I wanna say from the front end, there might be some triggers here. If you have wounding from the church because you are queer or because one of your loved ones uh, has been wounded from the church, this could be a very helpful conversation, but it also could raise some triggers. So I just want you to be aware of that. Before we get into the conversation, I also want to let you know that I'm a part of a new podcast called Fun Parts. I love this show because it explores the endless intersections between sexuality and spirituality. And so I encourage you to go to funpartspodcast.com and check it out. Or you can search for Fun Parts wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, without any further ado, let's check out this conversation with Rebecca Bowers. Friends, I'm here with Rebecca Bowers. Hi, Rebecca. Hello. Man, it's good to have you on. When you reached out and told me a little bit about what you do, I was like, well, that's perfect. I, you're exactly the person I want to talk to right now. Yeah. So, um, I mean, give us a little just, you know, not not don't dive right into what you do, but just to give us a little background of, you know, who you are, where you live, what your situation yeah. is in life and all that stuff. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I live in Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, I'm originally from Baton Rouge, but my husband is from Lafayette. We moved to Chicago a few years ago so I could get my master's degree in pastoral care and clinical counseling. So I got a chance to explore some really cool things in Chicago, got a chance to be a part of a lot of really beautiful movements and uh, you know, be there during the midst of a lot of things that were shifting politically going on. And that was a big awakening for me personally to say, I have a voice, I have a privilege and, you know, I need to be able to uh, practice my own, my own sense of self, my own grounding, my own safety uh, privately and sometimes openly so that I can continue to go forward for other people who don't have that kind of uh, ability um, outright. And so, you know, to make a place where everyone has the ability outright. That's great. I love that. There's this grounding that we all need. If we're, if we're going to yeah. help people find their voice, we actually need to know how to do it ourselves. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Because there's definitely been times where I have, I have put myself out there too quickly and, and it was out of a sense of excitement and possibly some panic. And then from there it was, you know, I wasn't saying uh, the best that I could be saying. I wasn't, yeah responding the way that I could be responding for people. Yeah. So I had to ground myself again. So you're a therapist. I'm a therapist. Yeah. And what's your spiritual background? Uh, my spiritual background is Christianity. That's kind of, uh, 
how I grew up. Uh, literally, both, uh, both my parents are very involved in the church. And um, my mom works for the foundation of the United Methodist Church. So she also goes around to churches and helps them, you know, figure out how to balance their checkbooks and how to talk to people about uh, tithing or how to um, invest in like smaller things like the stock market, uh, not the stock market is small, but you know, the uh, help churches be able to grow um, both financially and um, spiritually as far as like what they need. So I literally grew up most of the times in the church because I would be running around churches and I would sneak up to the roof and see what the sanctuary looked like from above and (laughs) you know, all those kinds of things. Um, And then when I got to graduate school though, exploring for a couple of years, different religious backgrounds um, kind of moved me more into a Unitarian kind of standpoint. Um, And so uh, exploring and being much more open to uh, divine mother um, and to divine femininity and to, you know, the the whole aspect of earth and the universe spiritually and energetically moving. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. That's great. And so uh, what, so, you reached out and said, hey, I, I'd love to talk to you about my work with LGBTQIA plus individuals, especially as it relates to um, trauma in the church, trauma from s- spirituality, spiritual leadership stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm always curious because I think it takes a very special person for someone in the LGBTQIA plus community to say, to tell their story to, you know, they're not just going to tell it to anybody. So how did you find yourself sitting across the table or chair Mm -hmm. or whatever with folks who started to tell you their uh, stories of trauma? Um, I used to be a youth director before I got into counseling. And from there I had an, uh, probably over 10 youth out of, you know, 60 or 70, um, who identified. And those were the ones though that I would say, um, identified openly. There's probably more. Oh, for Um, sure. And yeah, you know, and so, but what I noticed whenever I was there is that as the adult, as the one in charge of such conversations, we weren't having the conversations. And it wasn't until one of the youth came out at their, um, at their graduation ceremony. They were uh, doing a speech for the graduation. I can't remember if they were valedictorian or salutatorian, but they were there doing a speech and that was when they came out to their school. So they did that because at their school, they, they wouldn't have been allowed to stay in school if they would have come out before graduation. So they wanted that to be part of their story. Um, and we talked about it a little after, but um, they wanted that to be part of their story. And they wanted, you know, people to really know they didn't want to hide themselves anymore. They knew that that wasn't for them. Um, but what I noticed is that me personally, I could have done so much more for them um, or the church, you know, not just me as Rebecca, but the church could have done so much more for them and their family if we would have been more inclusive in our language. So it wasn't so much about us directly talking to that one student, but mm-hmm. us being so much more inclusive about how we talk about spirituality. Um, you know, just even if we were to just include stories 
from other persons who have come out and who are in uh, religious structures, that could have been just enough. And there's so much more that could be done, but it's actually a really tiny amount of effort that needs to be done. And so from there, that's when I started thinking, okay, well, you know, what can I do as a youth director? And from there I moved into um, a, a, a long journey of becoming a counselor and whenever I was a, a, an intern in Chicago, that's whenever I started seeing a couple of clients who were identifying as, um, as LGBTQ and they were walking in saying the first thing before they said their name saying, I'm a Christian. That was it. And that's something that I want to talk about, but I want to make sure that you know that before you know me. And then they would tell me their name. Hmm. So. I think I had maybe two clients that uh, that told me that when they first came in, and then from there I went to my professors and said, "There's, there's a bigger connection. We have to be talking about this in school. Um, and if we don't, then I'm just going to study it on my own. But honestly, I'm the one that's the student. It would be great if you guys could give me more resources. Um, and so that's kind of how the can I ask Rebecca? Started. Just were mm-hmm. you like this grad school? Was it a, a Christian, you know, grad school? So maybe there wasn't as yeah. much openness to talking about. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it was, uh, it's, it was, it's seminary. Um, it's a mouthful of Garrett evangelical theological seminary. Okay. So really. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think they were very open, you know, they've made statements. They've talked about that before. Um, and when I was there, they actually even had two courses that were on LGBTQ in the church but that was very new. And so, you know, I think that opening of the door uh, is really only the beginning. Um, And as far as I know, since I've left, there's been a lot more courses, but yeah, I think definitely because we were a seminary who was really focusing more on that pastoral side um, when I was at seminary. But when I was at the counseling piece of it, it was focusing more on the social and cultural foundations of LGBTQ. Um, and what I was interested in is the combination of the two, like trying not to separate them, but to honor both sides and, um, and knowing that if I just had two clients come again, if I were to start saying it, maybe on my profile, if we were to start saying it as an organization, more people would come. Um, because like you said, people really don't often like to come in and really talk about their trauma, um, just to a stranger. Now, if it's a stranger who has said explicitly, this is what I work on. I welcome this kind of conversation. I encourage you to come in. I encourage you to talk to me so that we can process together and so that we can get you you to a place of healing. Then I think people are more likely to come. But if we don't say that kind of stuff, they're not going to come. I totally agree. Um, when what are some of the common if there are common kinds of trauma that uh folks who are lgbtqia plus experience in the church that you've come across mm-hmm. um so a removal of of sexual ability and identity um uh, i think I know a lot of religious cultures that really believe in um, in that preach to abstinence. Um, 
whenever we really explore those kind of topics, people normally struggle whenever it comes time for them to have sexual experiences. They really struggle with with enjoying them both uh, yeah, both bodily, yeah. but also both emotionally, you right. know, because then the moment that that adrenaline starts to come down, they start to feel shame. So that's a big one. Um, and, and, but for specifically LGBTQIA clients, I have had so many of them tell me that a person within their church um, explicitly told them that when you do such things, I hope that you remember enter, um, you know, a spiritual person. Some of it has been, I hope that you remember Jesus's face. Some of it has, I hope that you know that God is next to you while that's happening. Um, so that kind of thing, it just removes all, and maybe not all, but it removes a pretty large portion of your body saying, I really want to experience that. Um, and it takes away the gift that a sexual experience can be. Right. Um, and it takes away the autonomy of what that can mean for a person. And from there, it only says that you don't get to enjoy this, but you actually suffer through it because you're feeling, you're having to remember this conversation. You're having to experience all of the um, negativity that the church normally might give you around um around the conversation of christ or god um and then you have to start embodying that and bottom line is that just sucks right much more bottom line is that that. just sucks so that's one like literal trauma around sexual function yeah as it relates to combining sexual activity with spiritual shame. I mean, not that it's mm-hmm. spiritual shame, but like shame associated with your value to God. If you do yeah. this in this way. And I think you mentioned like that goes across the board. I mean, that's purity culture, heterosexual, um, yeah. you know, as well. So um, what are some other uh, kinds of trauma that are unique to queer, queer folk in the church? Um, so loss of community is a huge one uh, that I see. And I think that one is probably the first immediate one that we might talk about because um, whenever somebody is told they're no longer welcome, it's really hard to go back. Um, I, I've known a number of people who say, it doesn't matter if I'm not welcome. This is my space and I'm going. Mm-hmm. That's extremely rare in, yeah. in what I see. Um, so from there, if you're not welcome, it doesn't just translate often to that one particular church um, or one particular community, but it translates to the other places around you. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, so I'm just even thinking about how many blocks does that cover? If one specific uh, church site says you're not welcome, how far does that uh, does that removal of safety? expand to you know what's Mm -hmm. the radius of that literally thinking how far do you have to go in order to feel welcome again Mm -hmm. um most of the time it's pretty far and from there you also have uh, so you have like this major loss of community just a place to worship just a place to be Mm -hmm. and then if you go further we're talking about uh bible studies we're talking about sunday school class we're talking about um uh weekly book uh, gatherings, yeah. readings, yeah. Um, you know, keeping up with each other, all that kind of stuff. And then from there, we branch off to how your family experiences spirituality. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I know a number of families that uh, they're working on if my child doesn't go to church anymore because they feel that they're not welcome, but we want to say they're welcome. How do we pray with them? How do we, um, and praying being like, not so much of how do we pray intentionally, but also just how do we pray over our food? Like the Mm -hmm. very quick one that Mm -hmm. some people like to do as a family or a big gathering. um, You know, we join hands together and we say, thanks for the farmers and for the people who prepared this and for those who drove the trucks and for those who um, stocked the shelves. We thank all those persons. How do you thank people like that um, whenever you feel like you're not welcome in prayer? Right. You know, so like, how do you have this connection to this whole line, this whole thought process to what spirituality really actually branches out to be? Yeah. Um, and then I see a really big one is not feeling connected to the earth um, and not feeling grounded. Um, so that one to me is really, really important because we, as people who are spiritual, who believe in this divine entity, this divine process of uh, life itself, we feel a breeze and we think just unconsciously, mm-hmm. man, that's a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, whomever the gift may be from, we just sure. think of this breeze, we think of this process, we see a flower bloom and we send pictures to people and we talk about how beautiful it is. There's so much in nature um, that is connected to this spirituality, this whole big process. So if you're not allowed in the big process, then how do you experience nature? Um, And quite literally, I can, I know a lot of people who still do, but I know a lot of people who say, I just feel like, if I put my feet on the ground, there's nothing beneath me. Like, I just don't even think there's something there anymore. I feel so out of body and I feel so, um, I just feel like I'm floating hmm. and not in the good way. You know, I right, just right. I, like, I, I want to be grounded. And again, um, like as a result of being disinvited to a church it is the result of feeling a lack of grounding even within nature because somehow now there's this rupture like between creator and created one and creation Mm -hmm. um is that is that why that's yeah that that's kind of what i've been noticing um you know and i mean i don't know um how often we can say yeah this is definitely the you know the one true uh experience kind of like you know i'm never gonna write something that says these are the seven things of (laughs) uh you know i'm not gonna put it down to that but i've this is this the stuff that i see whenever people are talking about that is Mm -hmm. that before um god divine um allah had this weight to it had um a weight that was that's comforting you know yeah. like i mean you know not something that is weighing you down but something that says i'm here i'm with you right and that with is all-encompassing um and and that with is good yeah but whenever you say whenever a person who says i have spiritual authority and my spiritual authority says you aren't allowed that's really hard to combat because right. when a person claims spiritual authority 
most of the time we say, oh, okay, that, sure, right. that makes sense. Because when you claim spiritual authority, usually you think that comes with that spiritual responsibility. Um, but that's not always the case. Right. Um, and so whenever people are claiming that spiritual authority in a harmful way, then they remove others from that spiritual weight and from that uh, divine combination and connection. Yeah. Um, you know, and they, and, and they stand in the way and they say, if you want to get there, you have to go through me. And if you want to go through me, you have to change yourself, your life, your body. Yeah. That's just totally not true. You know, it's really interesting, Rebecca, as you're talking about the weight and removing the weight. I mean, you've been a seminary, you know, this, I'm just reflecting on it. I haven't ever, I hadn't put it together, but the mm -hmm. word for glory means weight. So like even that, that sense of God's glory, the divine glory, whatever yeah. that is, is doxa. That's the weightedness. And so I like, and so to sort of a person in spiritual authority to sort of remove that mm -hmm. sense from someone is extremely traumatic and harmful mm -hmm. um, bodily, yeah. as you're saying. I'm just reflecting on what you're saying. Am, am I yeah. hearing that right? Mm -hmm. So I, so I think about, um, what it means to be disembodied and, um, and, and think that that very well could relate. Um, and so that's one of the things I do a lot with my clients whenever, whenever they're talking about not feeling connected, we go through, uh, an embodied meditation and sometimes they are very simple, just as small as paying attention to your toes, touching the ground whether they be on the sandals through the ground, through the carpet that's on the hardwood floor, or, you know, through your socks to your tennis shoes, like thinking very intricately about that, um, to try to pull yourself back to self, back to body. Um, and I'm, I don't do a lot of research on it, but I do, I do know that there are these similar occurrences of whenever somebody has an amputation, whenever they are, at a loss of a piece of their body, they still kind of re-experience it, but it's um, it's the body trying to write something. They still may experience phantom pain. Um, they still go to take a step somewhere whenever they're unable to. Um, you know, they have this real loss of like proprioception. You yeah. know, of like the ability to be able to know body where body exists in relation to other things, other people, other experiences. Um, and so for people who have experienced spiritual trauma around their sexuality, have this disembodied experience um, where they are living in, you know, what people commonly say in the closet, but they're still living life. They're yeah. still seeing it through the slats of the, um, uh, of that door of the closet you know, they're still seeing things through the cracks or they're masking. And so they're being an entirely different person. They're saying, this is who I am. They're participating in experiences, but internally they're not. They're, yeah. they're saying, I have to be quiet. I have to silence myself in some way so I can still experience the world. Right. And that kind of thing makes me think, man, like uh, if, if somebody says, you're not allowed to be the the thing that is most you, most um, internal and most intimate. 
then of course you would say, well, that doesn't make sense. And you would be ripped Mm -hmm. out for Mm -hmm. whether it be a moment or for weeks, months, years, you would be just, it would be this large suction happening and saying like, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Um, And that doesn't make sense. Peace is normally anger and denial and, um, you know, a sense of loneliness. You know, it's not a, it doesn't get, it kind of feels as though whenever that happens, most of the time people feel as though they're not allowed to fight for that reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a true, that's a, a true disservice to spirituality. I think, yeah. um, you know, whenever you don't get to reconcile. How, <clears throat> excuse me, how often is it the case that a person, let's say it's an adolescent coming to you and saying, I've been unwelcomed at my church and also in my family? How often is it both? Very often. Very often it's both. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, when I worked in Chicago, I worked at an organization um, that it was, it was very small and they worked with parents to help the parents learn more about how to fight for their kids, be their advocate as they transition from male to female, female to male. The youngest kid that was involved in that was three. Mm -hmm. And uh, the oldest kid, they they stopped at age 18, but um, the oldest kid when I was there was 11. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of the kids were adolescents. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, and that was up in Chicago, but I even have it here in Louisiana where I have, I try really hard to work with the families too. That can be a struggle, but um, where I have kids saying my church doesn't allow me, my family is saying they aren't allowing me um, mentally and emotionally. They're still allowed physically in the house and they're still allowed to participate in family events. And, um, but they're not allowed to present. They're not allowed to be the person that they want to be or that they feel is most true to them. Um, and so they're having to do this masking Yeah. and, uh, you know, I have, and then within that, I have, I have those families saying, well, if I fully welcome my kid, I'm not allowed at my church anymore. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't, but I, but I also don't want to give up my kid, but I don't want to lose my faith either. Right. That's a really hard thing to do too, is to help explain this to an adult who's trying to say, you know, here I am having to make this big decision and I'm on the other side saying, you don't have to make a decision. Yeah. Not up to you. It's, it's the church that needs to be Mm -hmm. not even making these decisions, but outwardly stating this is allowed in combination with this. Mm-hmm. Both are holy. Mm-hmm. Well, and what do you, and to that, you know, I think there's, there's a sort of a spectrum of responses that churches have. And maybe on the one side is, let's call it, you know, fully open and inclusive in every level. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, maybe it's completely overt you know, you are not welcomed here. It's stated, it's obvious. It's, but then there's, there's these, I think churches in the middle that would be like, no, we, you're welcome. We love you. We want Mm -hmm. you here. And it's not okay to, um, really it's not okay to 
and I'm using air quotes here and, yeah. and maybe their words act out sexually or no, if you're a boy, you're a boy. There's no transitioning. Yeah. What kinds of trauma do those middle type of church, I mean, in your experience, mm -hmm. um, do you know what I mean by that question? I do. I do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, I've, I think they cause um, a, a battle and they, I think they cause confusion. Um, and within that, uh, you know, I, I think it's okay to battle yourself. I think it's okay to be confused sometimes, but not because another person says that you can do this, but not this, you know, like that battle should be your internal thing. It should be your decision. It should be up to you to say, I'm confused about this. I think I want to do something else but I like how I've been, you know, like it, the, the battle shouldn't be somebody pressing that onto you. Right. And I think whenever, whenever people say you're allowed to be here, we welcome you as a human being, but we don't welcome you as the person you are. Then that's where we start to enforce this battle. And we start to say, you have to pick. Um, and it's, then that goes back to that, that, you know, uh, age old thing of, well, is sexuality a choice and over and over and over again people have yelled and they have cried and they have they have been calmly saying you know all of the different emotions this isn't a choice there's no choosing this and that is um you know a really frustrating thing to say okay thank you for telling me but again you have to choose okay so what i'm hearing then is you didn't hear me Mm -hmm. That's kind of the bottom line of the mm -hmm. conversation is if somebody is saying over and over again, I can't choose. It's not a choice that I'm doing. But then a person on the other side says, okay, I hear you, but still you have to make the choice of not being you. Um, you know, that, that still causes a, 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 a sense of loss. Um, it may not be as extreme as the first we had talked about where you're not allowed, but if a part of your daily life is not allowed in the conversation, um, you know, then you can feel excluded, even if you're part of the group, even if you're in the conversation with other people while y'all are talking about your week, if you think before it gets to you, what am I allowed to say? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, then you're actually not included. Right. Um, and that church is actually not being inclusive. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and we see that in so many other spaces too. And so having that kind of covenant that says we allow you as yourself, as the human being that you are and as the person that you are, that is the most inclusive that I think people can be um, plus celebration. Yeah. Well, and I, I came to, I mean, I've, Rebecca, I've been a pastor for 25 long years. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like 50 years already, but many of these, those years have been wonderful and amazing too, though. So I, I don't want to paint it in too bleak a picture. <laughs> yeah. But recently, uh, I, I came to this understanding that sounds super obvious, right? But I think for pastors, sometimes we, we believe our own press too, too much, you know? And I came to this understanding that when it comes to welcome, like when you say we welcome XYZ type of person, I came to this realization that like the church can't say who, like we can say who, but 
who we welcome. But if those people don't say, I feel welcomed by that church 100% fully as me, then you're not welcoming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, and it doesn't matter how much you think you accept someone. If they don't feel accepted fully as they are, then you're not accepting, even if you think you yeah. are. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? It does. It does. It took me a long time to kind of get to that, like, though. Yeah. Because I think, especially church people, most of the time are genuinely sincere in their faith, I think. Mm -hmm. And even on this issue, I think people have very, I've talked to many people who have very sincere beliefs, you know, and it's not, you know, based out of some really evil, but it ends up being not affirming and not welcoming and not yeah. accepting. And what I'm hearing from you is that, boy, that can create some real confusion. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I try to address that confusion because I have so many people who, who work through that battle. Um, and I even have their families coming in working through that battle. And um, sometimes it's as simple as talking to them about what is the absolute most good that can be done hmm. in this kind of situation. Whenever you know that this answer is kind of right, according to how my faith says it is, this answer is kind of right, according to this person, how they feel. And this answer is kind of right over here. Which one serves the most good? Wow. I mean, like yeah. bottom line, yeah. which one says this is the most inclusive, most kind, most genuine effort of spirituality that can be done. And that represents true, um, divine union of life yeah sure which one says that um that's great and if i like that don't, then sorry those aren't your answers yeah you know, and, and, and we can mourn that we can say we can say i'm sorry for that mm. you know and i and i can actually even feel genuine about that i know so many people i do feel genuine about that process of i know this is what you felt forever and i am really sorry that it's it's being lost um, and I want to honor that, but I want to say it hasn't been the most good, mm -hmm. you know, just being truthful about the process. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that can be one of the more difficult parts of my job about, uh, what I do is telling the families, mm -hmm. you know, I understand you are fighting for your kid, but in the other sense, you're not, you know, mm -hmm. you're actually rejecting them, yeah. um, and you're actually losing them. Wow. And that kind of truth isn't easy to swallow. It's not easy for me as a person and they don't like it either. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is the most, um, uh, truthful explanation in the moment mm -hmm. and it can serve the most good for a person. Um, and I like to tell that to people too, that the way we respond to trauma, every single individual person, it truly does make a difference, um, in how much life actually continues. Yeah. And we can see that across the board and across mental health is that if we, if we respond to trauma in a way that is meeting it um, with a supportive and inclusive process, then that can truly save somebody's life. Wow. Yeah. And we see the stats are staggering, the amount of suicide rates, um, people that complete suicides that are LGBTQIA in the church is just staggering. Yeah. I, I don't know the exact, I don't want to spew out the, the wrong stats. Do you know? Like the, the, no, I no, I I actually um, I don't know. I I I tend to stay away from yeah. those stats. Um, yeah. I mean personally because they're, 
I, I know them on like a personal level. Right. Um, you know, and so, and, and that's why I try to tell people I, I work with a lot of churches on, um, on language mm-hmm. and on, uh, you know, how do you, how do you make your church trauma informed or, mm-hmm. uh, or inclusive yeah. for LGBTQIA persons? How do you do that within your own staff? Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time, the numbers aren't the thing that gets them. It's the, it's the experience. Yeah. Um, and it's the one person saying, I feel welcome and I'm coming back to church. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. You know, mm-hmm. like it's really more of the conversations and the situations of people that get churches and that get people involved in yeah. inclusivity. It's the actual relationships that are already yeah. there. Yeah, it's the relationship. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Rebecca, as I'm just eyeing the time and I was like, oh my gosh, we could talk for oh, hours. Yeah. This is so beautiful. But what have you found to be validating, helpful for folks who've been traumatized in the church? Like what, what experiences, words, expressions have you found that really has been helpful? Um, the first process of coming back to body is really important. Um, I noticed that over and over again for clients who come in and they know that they want to focus on, they've just got a list of things that they want to focus on, but they are all over the place. So coming back to self, coming back to body is really important. Um, and from there, we take it a little bit slower. I always talk to people about finding a community that, that really includes them and that even includes that spiritual piece of it. Um, I think the LGBTQIA community has done huge work within themselves over the past few, uh, probably decade, but for me, I've only noticed it over the past, say, six or seven years. It's probably been even before that, that they have been more open to the full inclusion of all LGBTQIA persons. So I've had clients um, who have told me that they're invited and um and welcome to to like pride events that they previously didn't feel welcome to Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of how they identified you know I've had a number of clients who uh, identify as bisexual and I've had friends who identify as bisexual and they say well in past years I didn't feel welcomed Mm -hmm. by the community but now I really Mm -hmm. do feel welcomed Mm -hmm. by the LGBTQIA community and they, you know, say like, I really feel welcomed by the queer community. But within that, I even have clients who say, I'm also allowed to be at, you know, such and such events and talk about my, my longing for spiritual uh, access, responsibility, like for spiritual experiences. Mm. And what I think is really beautiful about that is that the people who invited them, they themselves have experienced trauma and they are saying, I welcome your experience and your longing to something, even though I don't yet or at all want to address the trauma that occurred to me mm-hmm. within that same relation. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I mean, I think that is just one of the more beautiful experiences of inclusivity is somebody saying, you know, I've been hurt by that and I'm not shutting you down. I'm encouraging you to talk about that more to, to, if you need a friend to just go with you, drop you off or pick you back up. Um, I've had, you know, people say like, that's my limit still 
if that's your limit, that's a big deal yeah. that you were open to that for your friend or, you know, for that person who just joined the support group. And you said, I'm willing to come with you. I'm willing to uh, sit in the car and wait for you and then get in the car and go have lunch together and talk about it. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I always encourage people to uh, look up online resources. Podcast is a big one. I'm a big fan of uh, podcasts because I love learning. I love listening. Um, and I just think it's, there's so much out there. And so I always tell people about, uh, you know, a number of podcasts that I really like um, and tell them if you, you know, if you listen to them, uh, you know, kind of do that disclaimer with them. Um, but then also tell them if you want to talk to me about it or just join the online forum, that may be a good place. Um, that may be a good online community support for you. So those are some of the things that I always encourage. Mm, that's fantastic. Um, and I want to encourage anyone who maybe hasn't ever gotten any help after you've been harmed spiritually, like rewind 10 minutes and listen to the, that list again. Um, if someone is listening and they haven't yet made that first ask for help, mm-hmm. who should they go to? I know there's more than one answer, but what are some yeah. examples of helpful, helpful steps to take? And I'm talking about someone who is LGBTQIA+, whether they've come out or not, they've been hurt by a spiritual and or family system. And they've just been living as if that's the only way life yeah. can be. Who do yeah. they who who do they reach out to? Um, the answer is probably going to depend on what kind of city you live in. For if sure. you live in a big city, um, uh, you have so much access to really awesome mental health providers. Um, and uh, on, especially right now, there's a lot more online support groups. Um, and those support groups have leaders who have gone through uh, a lot of the necessary training to do that plus experience. Um, smaller places, I would still encourage uh, some kind of therapist, some kind of uh, mental health support person would be a really big one. Um, but make sure that they talk about uh, that inclusive piece of it. Um, and then if you know someone who has gone through such experiences or who is in a recovery process from spiritual trauma, talk to them about it because they may have a lot more immediate resources in your most general area. Um, and then from there, if you feel like I really can't find anything, there are online Reddit forums. There um, is the Liturgist podcast has a, a really, really good online movement. They have a huge gathering of people that are very inclusive and supportive. Um, and from there, I think that community piece might be a good place. And then from there, just for a moment saying, I need help and clicking send on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the process of writing it out w- is going to be difficult. But the process of clicking send is so immediate. I promise that you can do it. Hmm. And once you do, just waiting for that response, somebody will respond. Um, and that's one of the things that I think is really important is knowing that really there are people out there 
who want to help others. And there are people out there who have recovered from this, which means that there is hope. Um, I think that's a big deal. Last question, Rebecca, and this has been so good, so helpful. I I do wish we had another hour actually, but (laughs) I want like for people who have someone in their life, maybe it's a child uh, that has recently come out to them and you yourself as the parent are struggling to accept your child because of all the reasons you listed before. I don't want to lose my church. I don't want to lose my kid. And I'm, I'm honestly struggling. So I'm, I'm speaking to those people. You're not terrible. You're not awful. Um, mm-hmm. But you need help too, right? So what kind of help would you suggest for those folks? And again, I'm clarifying, like people that actually want help. Yeah. 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 Again, again, talking with a therapist is going to be huge. Um, but knowing outright that you are not losing your child in this process, your child has still been there. They always have been, even if you're seeing a new side of them, even if you're seeing them dress differently, respond differently, um, you know, communicate to you differently than what you're used to. That's still your child. What you're getting to see now is what they have always wanted to show you. Mm. I think that that is a huge level of trust. Whenever somebody comes out and they start to perform the way that they feel is most true to them, that is a privilege that you get to see that. Mm -hmm. Because before, they didn't feel comfortable enough to do that. They didn't feel safe enough to do that. And now that they do, honor that, celebrate that. And it's okay if you do still have moments of grief. Like you said, you're not a bad person. It's okay to think, man, I really miss that my kid used to do X, Y, and Z. It might be then talk to them about that. They may actually still like that, but they are thinking, well, it's hard because that thing I used to do was more gender conforming, Mm -hmm. you know, or I felt like if I go back and do that, that I'm not honoring myself as I just came out. There's this whole split that happens that doesn't necessarily have to happen. Um, And so as the parent, as the grandparent, as the guardian of that person, you can still honor them now, celebrate them now, and help them come through and just totally integrate all of themselves and help them through that process and celebrate them. Um, it's okay if it's hard, but also talking to them about that and saying, I do miss that, but I am grateful that you're here now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. I think that's really good. Um, well, thank you, Rebecca. This is, yeah, this has been great. You. Is there any, anything you hoped I would have asked you that I didn't or any last things that you want to that No, you say? I think. I think this was really, really great. I'm extremely grateful that, you know, you had answered um, uh, that, that panic of me reaching out because I just thought, man, this would be so great if I could do this. Um, And I even have all of these notes in front of me. I wrote out all these things in case I got stuck and was a little bit scared. Um, But, you know, I I, I think this was wonderful to talk to you about this, Um, you know, and I really hope that as people listen to this kind of conversation that, we continue to make our whole earth and our whole world and life process, you know, just a really beautiful and inclusive space. Mm. Well, now you're preaching. Amen. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. 
Uh, okay. Well, thank you, Rebecca. And um, I, this is, again, this has been so helpful for me. I'm navigating our, our church just recently voted to become fully open and affirming and inclusive. And we have a long way to go. In That's terms awesome. Of like living yes. it out, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just having it be a tagline or, you know, I mean, no one wants that, but we realize yep. that we're, there's just a whole lot of work that we have to do in terms of education um, so that we're not one of those organizations or churches that says they're welcoming, but really isn't. Yeah. 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 And it's, I I mean like the, yeah, the process of becoming, uh, reconciling, affirming, um, is definitely one of continually learning. And there's so much within that though, that you get so many more, uh, resources, coping skills, the whole staff is just going to be prepared. Um, and just, you know, armed with this, with all of these really wonderful things to, to help people. Um, you know, and to really connect. Good stuff. We're we're on our way. We have a lot to learn, but on our way. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Rebecca. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.